Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am going to surprise you all, but just hold tight. Hold tight, okay? So, my starting point for this reflection is a little weird. I don't know if I'm going to stay in this particular topic, but it definitely is my starting point and it's definitely out of character for me or for this project or for, and for me. <laughs> but I think there's something located in this reflection that's bigger than, larger than the theme that I'm going to present. So there's, there's a theme that's out of character for this project, out of character for me. I'm going to go into it. But I really believe there's something there that's bigger than the theme that I need. So, just want to let you know. Um, and it's actually a topic that I've hit on before, but I never, I've never uh, entered into it as a starting place. So let me not belabor this. Okay, so just just hold tight. <laughs> Polyamory. <laughs> And I think I talked about polyamory was the one, the reflection, it had to be like, I know it was after my dad passed. It was before Thanksgiving. So something like mid-October, late October, early November, I don't remember. And um, I did a few episodes. I had gone on a, like a amusement to an amusement park for and hung out with some friends for the weekend and that was this, it was it was around the time that I did the episodes around identification. So I put it in the show notes. So if you if you're interested, and I talked about it then, and there I said that polyamory is a topic that I've actually studied for about 20 years, loosely. Nothing like I've studied Myers Briggs. Nothing like I've studied um, quantum physics. But it is something very similar to those topics that really is was pretty random. Like when I started studying Myers-Briggs, that was a random interest. When I started studying quantum physics, that was pretty random. And so polyamory is another random topic that I've studied, but I've not done like deep, deep, I've not made an, a deep investment of time. But it's something that's interesting to me. So when I did the episode back in October or November, whenever that was, I remember like, this is weird to try to explain to people why this is a, a topic of interest for me. And um, especially, and I don't, I've said this a few times, I'm, I have pretty, a fairly a low libido, you know. I don't really think that's anybody's business, but if I'm going to get on here and talk about polyamory, I do need to say that. I have a fairly low libido, so... If I have a low libido for one person, how in the hell would I be thinking about a polyamorous relationship, which is multiple multiple loves? So that is intriguing to me. Like, what is it? What is it about it? And I've I have in the last three four years, I've resolved it as it to me. It's a relationship structure that requires high intelligence, of like not of emotional intelligence. A lot of times. I associate when you're high, when you're smart, like you have a high IQ, you also have a high EQ. I think they go hand in hand. 
I don't know if I don't know if everybody agrees with that, but I think that they go hand in hand. I think when you have an IIQ, you can learn emotional intelligence, even if it doesn't come to you naturally. So I think polyamory is just something fascinating because you have to have a high EQ. You have to have a uh, high, like strong communication skills, strong negotiation skills. You have to be able to manage, do time management. And I think like all of these skills that are important to me, um, that's like polyamory is where they really come together. <laughs> so that's how I've resolved it. And I think to a huge extent, that's still the case. I really do. So it makes me think about my ex. Um, now, so my ex, this happened with my ex, but like this has happened in multiple conversations with multiple relationships, whether they were romantic or platonic. And I would say like there would be a skill missing from that person. Like if, like the person wasn't using effective communication skills, I want to say effective listening skills, but that's kind of redundant because people don't really understand to be an effective communicator, you have to be an effective listener, but let's just se separate that for a second. So listening skills, um, and I would say you have these skills. I know you have these skills because of the kind of work you do. You're in these high, you're in a high level position. That requires you to use high level skills. Why are those skills missing when it's in your, in these interpersonal non-work relationships? Like, why is that? Because I have a bias. My thing is if you have this, my, my bias and my belief system is if you have the skill, you have the skill. So I've had people push back on me and say, no, that's just a skill that's related to work. Okay. Okay, but but here's here's my pushback to the pushback. When you hit a certain level of mastery in that skill, that me to me a certain level of mastery means there's a, a level of integration. That you're no longer performing the skill, you and the skill, you're one with the skill. You are embodying it. So. To really master a skill means to embody it for me. And that means you do not say, oh, I'm only going to use this skill when I'm at work. No, if you have mastery of the skill, it it's in you. where It goes wherever you go. I guess I'm the only one who believes that because I've had people push back on that for me. Okay, so... So I think, in, and I've, I've never been in a polyamorous relationship, I've... Mm, I've only really interfaced with one person. I feel like I just recently met somebody who was polyamorous or who considered it. So let's just say maybe I've I've met up to three people who are polyamorous, but I had a friendship um, with someone. We're not friends now because of, of uh, around race, believe it or not. So while she, and she considered herself an ally for Black Lives Matter, she's a white lady, and but. But she could not handle, she could not handle mm, how I was experiencing the conversations after the George Floyd, George Floyd's death. And the way I needed to talk about it was a way that didn't, did not center her, you know. 
she, as an, a self-professed ally, wanted me to give her more recognition as an ally. And I was like, I, that's not my priority right now. Right now, my priority is, I'm right now trying to figure, I'm dealing with my own confusion, my own pain. Yeah, you're an ally. That's great. Good for you. But I'm not going to stop my grieving process to attend to your emotions. Okay. Now, a lot of that is because I'm an INTJ. We just don't do that. But anyway, 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 I'm, I'm trying to get to my disclaimers. But I knew her. And so up until that moment, you know, she was very gracious with her experiences because, and she shared a lot about being polyamorous. She was married and she dated and her husband dated. And I found that so fascinating because of how they had to navigate that world. It really, to me, required some skills, some high level skills, mastery of high level skills. So that's my, that's my view. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I think I've been intrigued with polyamory because I'm intrigued with the embodiment of certain skills, high-level skills, that should transcend work and home life. Okay. Well, I just listened to a podcast <laughs> where this lady interviewed a lady, another lady about um, who had um, was living a polyamorous lifestyle, and as as I, although I've studied polyamory for about 20 years, not like intensely, but enough, there was like, I was intrigued by the number of things this lady said that I had never considered. I was like, oh, that's a new perspective. And I think, I think, and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think because of how this lady, how she's living polyamory and how she talked about it, I think I might have come to a root, a realization or an understanding about why I'm interested in studying polyamory, why it's an interesting topic to me, I think. So I'm going to do my disclaimers and then I'm going to just talk about that episode. And I didn't take any notes. I probably should have, but sometimes when I take notes that I'm governed, that the, the notes become SE data and then it, it interferes with the NI, my NI experience. So I don't want any inner, I just want to be able to just freestyle it, okay? And I don't know if I'm going to go somewhere outside of polyamory, but that is my starting point. Because I think there's something located in polyamory, something more than just it being a place where high-level skills are used. And I think it's something that relates to, I think it relates to something that I actually need. And I don't think it's about sex. So I'm just, I'm telling, I'm going to give you the heads up. If you, if you want to <laughs> do not listen to this thinking you're going to get some stories about sex. Cause that's just not my jam. That's not, that's something that I, I don't just live in and all of that. That's funny. That is funny. So I don't want to disappoint you. Let me tell you this up front. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's something more than, I think it's more than about sex. Really? I think it's more than about sex. This is at least that's what resonates with me. And. So we're going to do a reflection on it, okay? <laughs> All right. And I do have a theory about personality type as it relates to polyamory. So hopefully that'll come up. 
Okay. All right. So if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by primarily using personality theory. The two that I use the most are Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as being an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I playfully identify as being a critical race feminist, which basically uh, is my way of letting you know that I have an intellectual sensitivity to power, how it shows up in race, class, gender, and sexuality, and more than that, okay? This project, this podcast, is unedited and is unscripted. And if you want to know more about this project or who I am and why I'm doing a public journal, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, okay? All right, so let's talk. You guys hear the dogs in the back? And there's some, like a dog war happening, so I'm going to try to go to a different space in the house. But you guys might just have to ignore it, okay? Those aren't my dogs. But pretty sure in a minute my dogs are going to get activated. So let me try to reposition myself. And I'll be right back. Okay, I lied. I didn't go to another part of the house because I don't have a lot of privacy. But the other, other the only other room, I had even less privacy. So even though I'm not going to be talking about sex... I still want a little more privacy with this particular topic. Okay, so let me start off by just trying to tell you a little bit about this person on this podcast. So it wasn't the person whose podcast it was. It was a person she interviewed. And she had been married twice, conventionally or traditionally. Her first marriage, she married him and her husband died 10 days later because he was sick. So they knew he was dying and so she, they just kind of did a marriage before he passed. So she, that was her first marriage. And then while she was dealing with the grief of that loss, she met her second husband. And I think they were married. I don't know if it was a year or not, whatever. And I think they were married for a while. I think at least seven years, I think. Um, so she was traditionally married. And then... And somewhere in that marriage, they had, um, that second marriage, they had, they had, uh, when they met, because he was younger, I think about 10 years her junior, um, yeah, I think they were 10 years apart, and he was 10 years her junior, um, they talked about having kids. So they negotiated kids. And what did that mean? With the age gap, that was significant. So they agreed that when he was 25 and she was 35, they would get pregnant. And unfortunately, they weren't able to. Or they did and they didn't. They didn't. They lost the baby. I'm not sure. But along the way, they had a friend. A friend of theirs got pregnant, I guess, in a situation where the, the father wasn't going to be in the child's life. So the lady who was on the interview, and I think her name is Angel. I'm going to say that. The lady who was being interviewed, her name is Angel. She said, she suggested, well, why don't we just bring her into our relationship? We bring her into the house. We raise the kid. We know that she's fertile. You guys, you guys, we can have another baby through her. And then we'll all raise the kids together. And she said it was just a, in her mind, like a just, I don't know if she used the word pragmatic, but that's kind of what I heard. And in my head, I was like, yeah, I can see that, right? That just would make sense. 
you guys want to have kids, you're not able to. A friend of yours has a kid. I'm not, that would mean. And so in, in the episode I did back in um, October and November, I talked about there, there are different types of polyamorous relationships. Multiple loves does, it does not mean that everybody's romantically involved or it doesn't mean everybody is sexually involved. So I think that's another part of that structure, that life that is exciting to me because it's like, oh, you can have a, multiple relationships, but you're not having, you don't have to have multiple sex partners. It just, it just, there's, as a person that likes to have control and to plan and strategize, I mean, to me, it's just, it sounds really interesting to me. <laughs> I just gotta get past the libido part. <laughs> so anyway, so they never did that because her, her husband, her second husband was more traditional. They never did it. But, and she was just saying, even at that time, she never even considered that, that she would be alternative, even though she made this suggestion, but which was very, which was set out of, I'm going to say pragmatism. So, um, anyway, so fast forward, I don't remember, like, oh, she ended up dating somebody who was, she ended up dating somebody who was openly, uh, or was called ethically, ethically non-monogamous, and it really suited her, and, and so, fast forward, she currently has two boyfriends as of the recording I don't know how old the recording was because I just found this podcast some of you are probably (laughs) some of you are probably saying you're anti-dumb put the podcast app away (laughs) because I've been like over the last few weeks I've just been really dabbling into stuff intellectually that's just beyond my what what I would say my norm my reality and I I don't know I don't know why but it's like it's just giving me some great escapism to just delve into topics that are beyond my daily reality and so it's just been very helpful for me um I think some of it is work related but I I think some of it is winter related because I definitely get the January and February blues although I haven't really had the blues this year, but I have been prepping for it. I told you guys, I've been saying, I was saying it like in October, November, I said, this winter is going to be tough because I'm dealing with my dad's death. And I said, you know, so I just have been really prepping myself to not have the blues. And so part of, part of me listening to this this quote unquote alternative content is my way of, of just keeping myself grounded and giving myself something intellectually to chew on as, a, as opposed to spiraling. So, so far it's working, even if it's a, kind of odd. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, so going back to this lady, her name is Angel. She has two boyfriends and a comet. And she, you don't get to learn what a comet is until the very end of the podcast. So I'm just going to tell you this now. I'm going to spoiler alert if you go and find it. Um, a comet is a person that is like a, a person just like swings through your line. Not swings. That's probably not the right word to use right now. Who comes around periodically, but it's like this bright, burning this fascinating person, but if there's, you're not dating that person on a regular, they just, they just drive through periodically and that's all you have with them. Like this great 
intense moment for a moment for a moment and then they go away and so and then they come back another time you know so and that makes me think of someone but anyway um so two boyfriends and a comet all three uh, she's female all with all three men although she's openly she calls herself hetero flexible and the lady who interviewed her said, well, why don't you consider yourself hetero bisexual? And she said, because most of her relationships are with men. And so she just wants people to be upfront about her preferences. I thought that was interesting. Um, so let's, so that's pretty much the, the overview of that. Oh, let me give, no, let me give a couple other things. She talked about, and I don't have the word for this, but that you can have, so in the in that in that community in that world you have a primary you can have a primary relationship in the a primary partner and I don't know if you call it a secondary partner. So the interviewer asked Angel, "Do you have a you have two boyfriends? One of those boyfriends primary, the other one secondary?" And she said, "No, I don't I don't do that. I don't I don't put my relationships in a hierarchy." I thought that was interesting, right? There was another term that, there was another thing that she said that I had never heard. Now I've heard of primary, secondary, and I've heard of hierarchical relationships. I've heard of hierarchical poly relationships and non-hierarchical poly relationships. So that wasn't new. But the one thing that was new was like a meta, I don't know the word, but let me, I don't know the word, but let me give you the, the, what it means, the definitions of these, these two words. I don't know. Can't remember. So say, for instance, Angel is dating Derek, and then Derek is dating Sally. Angel is in a relationship with Derek, but she's also in a non-romantic, non-sexual relationship with Sally. And in order for that relationship, that whole relationship to work, even though Angel and Sally are not in a relation, a romantic and a sexual relationship... I guess there's literature, because I'm going to go look it up. I am going to read it. I'm intrigued by this. I guess in there's literature out there that would explain how to be a secondary partner. That's not the way to say it, because they're not in a relationship at all. I wish I could figure out the word. But anyway, how to be a, an ally, a friend to your partner's other partner. Uh, that was fascinating to me. I don't know why. So, <laughs> um, I feel like, is there anything else that came up that I think would be relevant? Oh, um, another thing that came up that I thought was really good is her treatment of from platonic friendships, platonic relationships, and really understanding that platonic relationships feed the individual as much as a romantic relationship it does. And so in a heteronormative society, we are good, we are taught to prioritize our romantic and our sexual relationships and our platonic relationships are kind of just there. 
But what she says is no, her platonic friendships mean a lot to her. They feed her. And so she carves out time for her platonic friends. She carves out time for her platonic friends and she invests in those relationships like she invests in her romantic relationship and her familial relationship. So what she, at the start of the podcast, at the start of that episode, she said that she's just feeling very fulfilled because she has a lot of rich relationships. She has familial relationships, romantic relationships, and platonic relationships. And so for me, I was just like, I felt a little overwhelmed. Like, I don't know if I would need all of that, obviously, as an INTJ, but That would be a lot of, those would be a lot of relationships to manage. But I think the whole point is different people and different relationships feed you in different ways. And in order to really celebrate, um, harness, these other relationships we have like really challenging ourselves to poke at the tradition of heteronormativity or like or not just or monogamy because i don't think it's about it because this is a this is something i've thought about in terms of queer queer relationships lesbian relationships or gay relationships right so even though it's it's same gender loving it's still it's still it's still traditional. You just have the same gender loving people loving each other, but they're still inside of a traditional paradigm. And I've always been bothered by that. And then somebody I remember I always have been bothered. Like, why would you leave the heteronormative world to then get into a same gender loving relationship to then mimic? The world you just came from. Why are you mimicking that? And with I, somebody challenged me big time. They they read they they checked me really. I mean it wasn't mean, but it was a really good eye opening moment for me. Just because you love someone of the same gender doesn't mean you don't hold the conservative values that you were raised in. You can still hold traditional values. It's just who you're sexually attracted to. I was like, oh. So I had a, I was biased. I'm thinking, well, if you're going to leave a box, why would you leave one box to go into another box? But there are some people who like boxes. They just also like, they are also sexually drawn to the same gender. Isn't that interesting? So I had a bias, like, if you work really hard to leave a box, that means you don't want to be in a box. That's not true. What it means is you don't like that particular box you were in, and now you're looking to be in a new box. It's a, it makes so much sense to me now, but I remember for so long, I was so judgmental about it. I really was judgmental about it. So, so I think that makes me think about personality theory because when I think about boxes because the way this lady was talking angel and how she moves about in relationships like she's like I'm open to do whatever I want to do as long as I'm ethical about it as long as I communicate to my partners I I am free to do whatever I want to do and I get that 
But when she talked about what she needed, that openness that she needed in a relationship, and she was kind of being judgmental about people who can't, who, who prov- people who do not allow for such openness. What I thought to myself is, I wonder if the reason why she is so drawn to polyamory and why the openness of polyamory feeds her is because she is a P. She's a perceiver. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I say it right. Hold on a second. I'm pretty sure there's a nice, uh, there's a neater way to say what I'm about to say uh, as it relates to typology. I just don't know it yet. So I'm going to be a little clunky here. If you, like I'm a dominant perceiver, but I'm not a perceiver in the world. So as an as an INTJ, my dominant function is introverted intuition. That is a perceiving function. But because it's introverted, it's an introverted perceiving function. I don't give that to the world. I'm trying to figure out if you can be an introvert. I think you, I don't, I think, I think intro, only introverted perceivers are not perceivers to the world. All other perceivers No, I feel like I want to study this. Anyway, I don't, I don't, I'm, if you guys are f- familiar with it, you just need to bear with me because that's just something I need to learn. I need to study more of. But I'm an, I'm a, my dominant function is a perceiving function, but I am not considered a perceiver because that's not how I show up in the world. By the way, I just read something earlier today about the Enneagram, and most people look at the Enneagram as three clusters. A body cluster, a heart cluster, and a head cluster. I read something today about the three clusters, not as it relates to body, heart, and mind, but about who do you, how do you show up to, how do you show up in the world? Who do you see yourself as? And something like, what do you need? I can't, and it's around the tri-type link literature. So I'd love to come back and talk a little bit about that because that was intriguing. So anyway, I'm a perceiver that is introverted. So that means I'm a judger in the world. And I'm, a, I'm and so the Myers-Briggs calls me a, a judger. Okay. But I would suspect going back to this lady who needs this, who like is relishing, relishing in this openness. I suspect that she's a perceiver. That's why she likes the openness. That's why it just doesn't make sense to be boxed in. And while there's a lot that she was saying that sp- like speaks to me, aside from the you know the, the libido, you know the sexual part, and I'm not a, I'm not offended by the sex part. It just doesn't draw me in. But I I found myself going, yeah, but I like a little more predictability. I like a little bit of predictability. I like a little bit more control. And I'm a judger. That would make sense. So I say that because I don't think poly, I think this is an an argument that polyamory is not for everybody. Like genuine, like not just from a moral perspective, 
like for people who are, you know, religious and their religion say, says you need to be with, with one person. Okay, that's one argument against polyamory. But I think another argument against polyamory would be people who have an orientation for some kind of predictability, some type of order, some type of control. And we think control is negative, but it doesn't have to be negative. And so I don't, I don't think that this lady brought that side of the, of, uh, the argument to the table because she probably wouldn't. More than likely, she's a perceiver. More than likely. So that was a reflection that I had. Now, because polyamory has different configurations, I would imagine that there's a, I bet you there's a configuration that would be more suitable for a J type to feel comfortable in that. So I don't, I'm not saying that polyamory is strictly for perceivers, but I think the way she was embodying polyamory was definitely because she's a perceiver. Now, if she came back and said she was a judger, then I'd be like, okay, there's something for me to learn. But just mean not having any more information. That was just what was resonating for me. So I'm going to start. Uh, I just want to just spend a little time just talking about why I think this polyamorous conversation speaks to me. Why I think it does. Outside of the the excitement of being able to use high-level skills outside of work. High-level skills inside of Romantic relationships. And you guys, you know, I've been talking a lot about work lately because I just had a shift in my job. I'm assuming that you guys don't like it because you're not giving me a lot of love on my last few episodes. And I think they're pretty good. <laughs> you're not giving me a lot of love. But somebody has gone to my YouTube channel. Some people have gone to my YouTube channel. So I'm getting some love there um, a little bit. And so I'm like, well, it is what it is. We're just going to be here for the ride. But um, one of the things I've been thinking about in this job shift is that me serving in this leadership role is a role that I served in 10 years ago. And in the 10 years that I wasn't serving in this kind of leadership role, organizational leadership, I never got rid of that as an identity, but I've not been in an organization. I've not been in this type of organizational leadership role in 10 years. I've been trying to use my thinking skills, my thinking, my TE extroverted thinking in some non-organizational leadership ways. I think I've, dabbled a lot with TI, the six in my stack. I think I've used a, a weekend TE, but there's a TE side of me that is activated in this leadership role that is unexplainable. It is so instinctual for me. It, is, it speaks to my core. And now that I'm, I think I didn't know it the first, like, so I've done two of, in the kind of leadership role I'm in now, and I've only been in this for eight days, but 10 years ago, I did, I had two tours. I had two different, um, involvements. So I had one school and then another school. I thought I turned my phone off. I just had a phone call. 
Hold on. Okay, I have to leave it on. Someone is trying to text me. I'm sorry. Give me the information you don't need. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Hold on a second. So I think in the last 10 years, oh, so I, I think when I was doing this leadership before, I was just doing it. And I was doing, I did it well. I knew I did it well. But I didn't know why I did it well. I didn't know other than, I really didn't know it. I mean, other than maybe, oh, I have skills to do this well. Oh, I went to school and I've been trained to do this well. But after I have did that work at that type of leadership work, and then I've studied personality theory, I don't even think I understood it after I studied personality theory. I really think that in the last eight days of me returning to something that I did 10 years ago, I see, a, I see a side of me. I see a side of me that I haven't seen in 10 years. I, it's honest. I have, and I am, I am fulfilled at, at a level I have not been fulfilled in 10 years. I feel connected to who I am at the core in a way I haven't felt in 10 years. And in the past 10 years, I didn't fight for leadership positions. As a matter of fact, I stayed away from them because there's a part of the leadership and I don't know if you have to go back into my last episode or the one before. There's a part of leadership that requires introverted sensing, like the administrative stuff. And I'm like, mm, I don't like that. So I think me being like something, I mean, SI being at the bottom of my stack, I have a very clear distaste for introverted sensing. And I think that distaste became loud for me, so loud. And I didn't even know it was introverted sensing. I'm just putting all of this together in the last few days. It is so fascinating. I think that's why I'm talking about work a little more. But I am that at the core. And I think about how in the absence of me being in that role for 10 years, I've dabbled into some of my lower functions. And it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been exploratory. I've learned a lot. But it's, I've not been in my dominant self. And that makes me, I don't know, I feel like I want to say a little sad. But I don't know if that's the right way to frame that. Hold on. So I've been spending 10 years calling myself expanding, right? Expanding into some of those other functions. And I think that's great. Like, I don't want to feel sad about that. But I was too far removed from my dominant self. So I have to spend some time thinking about how to live and, and claim the dominant me all while still making room for me to go into lower functions and play. I don't know. But anyway, I bring that up because... I think I think if you look at polyamory and you look at the different configurations of that, it makes this point. 
Who are you in relationships? What's the structure that brings out the best you? And most of us go into monogamous relationships, not because it's who we are. It's not because it brings out our best selves. It's because that's the narrative of the matrix. That's the only thing that's been modeled. That's the only thing that's been celebrated, approved. Even this idea that your romantic and your sexual relationships take precedence over your platonic one. And I swear to goodness, I really wish I would have had this kind of awareness I wish I would have had this podcast 15, 20 years ago because I struggle with friends. I, this is, I struggled with friends in this way. This is not the only way, but this is an important way I've struggled with friends in the past because friends, okay, this is, it's going to get a little complicated here. So just bear with me as I try to explain this. And I know I, I want to start being mindful of bringing closure because I've been a person that has I've not prioritized traditional relationships. And I say that because I think I know people who prioritize traditional relationships so much that even if they don't meet somebody that is truly compatible with them, they have to be in a relationship. So they will choose a relationship that's not compatible, but for the sake of living out a narrative of I'm in a relationship, I'm in a committed relationship. And then there's all kind of mayhem. It's all kinds of drama. So I haven't done that. I don't do drama. And I just really, really wish I would have known myself like I knew my, I know myself now. Just, I just really, but it's, it's hindsight, right? So while I wasn't, I wasn't in relationships a lot. I spend time by myself. I, I did like 10 years of dating. I mean, I've been in two 10 year relationships. I did a 10-year stretch of just dating or not. I don't know if it was a full 10 years. I'm talking about my adult self. So if we, so I'm 50, let's just sit, I'll be 51. So let's just say for 30 years, out of 30 years, 20 years, I was in it, 20 years, I was in a committed relationship with two different people, not at the same time, by the way. <laughs> so I was in a 10-year relationship that I was 10 years single or 10 years dating uh, you know, there's a there's a ten year period in which I was seeing uh, seeing um, non dating dating or not dating, and then I went into another committed ten year relationship. In that ten year period of not being in a committed relationship, I was available to cater to my friends when they needed me. And you guys have heard me talk about this until I, but when I needed them to cater to me, it was expected for me to understand, well, you know, I'm in a relationship. I can't do that for you. And while I didn't have the vocabulary that I have now, thank you, Angel, to this lady who was on this podcast. I always remember feeling, well, that's on, that, that's not, I always, initially I felt like ashamed that I was requesting that. Like, what is wrong with me that I'm asking for that? And then, you know, in my forties, I just started, I said, I don't want to do that anymore. But now I realize what that actually is. 
I don't want to reinforce the, a structure that says your romantic relationship is more important than your platonic relationships because, especially because I'm not, I'm not prioritizing romantic relationships the way you are. So that means when you need me, I'm here. When you need me, I'm here. When I need you, you're not. And I said this, I have said it though, I, and I didn't, again, I didn't have the sophistication or the clarity, but I've, I, in the last five to seven years, when my, all my friendships and these people I love dearly, when they started falling apart, I said, I'm no longer reinforcing what they value. I'm no longer reinforcing the structures that give them their identity, their identity. Their egos are based on a certain social structure that I used to try to fit in. I tried to live up to. I don't have that desire to do that anymore. And I'm not going to reinforce it. And I'm not. And listening to this lady talk about polyamory just really nailed it for me. So it was, it was, it was, um, about friendship. Like listening to her talk about polyamory. Help me to better understand how I do friendships and romantic relationships. I do it differently. I do it the way she does it. I mean, I don't do romantic relationships as in poly, but I do romantic relationships as non-hierarchical with my platonic relationships. They're all the same. You invent, you have a platonic friendship, you invest in it. You carve out time. You work on it. Just like you would do the romantic relationship. Mm, that's so interesting. And I think the second thing I'm going to say for now, and I think the second thing I'm going to say, um, hopefully the last thing is about having kids. So you guys have heard me say, and I used to put this in my disclaimers. I've played with this as a disclaimer once or twice, but it's not that big of a deal for me. There are a lot of things, like I could put my age in my disclaimers, Oh, I didn't even talk about my degrees today, did I? I didn't say I'm a social scientist and educator. I didn't do that. Okay, good. <laughs> That's funny that I didn't say it. I don't think I've said it the last couple of episodes. That means something. That means something. I'm going to have to go back and process that. But being child-free, which is different from being childless, and I have never was a person who said I didn't want to have kids. But I was a person that said I wanted to have kids with a certain type of commitment to them. And until that, until I could live out that commitment, I wasn't going to prioritize kids just like I wasn't going to prioritize a relationship for the sake of a relationship. I wasn't going to just say I, I, my identity, my ego was not tied to, was not dependent on whether I was going to have a kid or not. And I'm so excited that in the last even at this job that I have, even though I switched jobs, I'm in the same organization. Even in this organization, I have met three women, maybe four, maybe four, who have a very similar relationship to, to being to kids the way I do. And, and some of them are moms, but they were like, you know, they didn't have kids. They're not, their identity is not in being, their primary identity is not being a mom. 
that they're having kids didn't was not about it was their identity is not it's not connected to having kids. And I don't know, and that's just not the norm. That's not the mainstream narrative. So I don't know. I think I'm just going to close it here because I wonder if I, because I'm like, I've been really thinking about finding my people, finding my squad. Like, who are my people? Because I think it's easy for me to say, I'm an INTJ, I don't do people. I think that's true, but I think as an INTJ, I'm gonna have to, as a social being, I have to have some people in my life do some social. And it's been really hard to find people where we really get each other because most people are champions of the matrix. And maybe that's why I like polyamory because it's so antithetical to the matrix. Speaking of, somebody just texted me. I need to tell him not to come over. We, I need, I need to come back and talk to you guys about that situation because that situation is challenging me between body and head, and I might break that down for y'all. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm gonna have to bring closures because he just said he was on his way, and uh, I don't really anyway. <laughs> anyway, so. But maybe that's my interest in polyamory isn't because of the sex part of it. It's not because of having multiple sex partners. It's about living a life that's not governed by the rules of the matrix. Maybe that's it, y'all. I just feel like there's so much here. I don't know. And maybe maybe there are other types of communities that don't live out the rules of the matrix either. And so I don't need to limit my excitement to polyamory purely because it, it would give me access to a non-matrix orientation. And if you guys are like, what is she talking about the matrix? I've done many episodes on that. I may have even talked about it on my website. You're nidom.wordpress.com. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's the takeaway. That's I feel like that may have may really explain why I have dabbled in not dabbled physically in polyamory, but intellectually in it. And I think the only thing that stops me from doing it is because I'm like, oh God, you mean I'm about to have sex with multiple people? <laughs> but what if there is an option? If nothing else, I want to be friend. If you're polyamorous, I want to be your friend. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm declaring that you are my people because I think it. Not only does it require higher level skills, right? Skills to master communication, time management, um, empathy, compassion, emotional intelligence, honesty, at being moral. You look at how many heterosexual couples are not. Uh, oh, I don't even want to judge it. That's a heterosexual. I mean, okay, that's not even to say heterosexual. I meant to say how many monogamous couples, people who 
who professed to be monogamous. You, you've been married four times. You've been married four times. Are you really monogamous? Okay, so each time you were married, you were in a monogamous relationship. That's one of the things this lady said in this interview. She said, I don't go in. Oh, this is I'm so glad I remember this. I don't go into a relationship. This is what this lady is saying. I don't go into a relationship or she doesn't go into a relationship determining what that relationship is going to be. She said, when you make a friend, you don't determine what kind of friend it's going to be. You let that friendship blossom. The, the type of friendship that that connection will uh, bring you presents itself. She said, why don't we do that with romantic relationships? We get into romantic relationships. We think, will you be a good parent? Will you be a good provider? Will you? That's brilliant. We don't do that with our platonic friendships. We let the friendship meet us where we need, meet us where we are. We let that connection be what it's going to be. But we don't do that in romantic relationships. Oh, my God. This is this is good. This is good. I, I really, I now get it. I now get my fascination with polyamory. <laughs> so anyway, you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about polyamory in the, you know, I didn't really talk about the benefits of being in multiple Having multiple romantic partners, that's not something I can do. I don't really know that. And I also don't have a deep desire for it, but I do have a desire to have a socially enriched lifestyle that speaks to who I truly am. Like a, a rich, a social richness, a rich social life. And rich social life doesn't mean quantity for me. Doesn't mean having a lot of people. It means does it? Okay, it doesn't mean quantity as in having a lot of people in my social life. It means quality, having the right people, the right alignment, the right connection, and that's what I want: familial relationships, rich familial, rich platonic, and rich romantic. And if that means I have to open myself up romantically to consider how what I have my to learn diverse needs that I have I don't know what that is my god but I I have to think about it why wouldn't I think about it at least because I'm a diverse person and I'm non I'm just diverse can one person satisfy me emotionally and intellectually That's something to think about. It is just something to think about. I don't have a lot of energy, though, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I don't have a lot of energy, but <laughs> if there's a way to do it, if there's a way to do uh, non-monogamy and I don't have to spend a lot of energy, then I'll have to consider it. But if it takes a lot of energy, I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> All right, you guys. So anyway, if this any of this says related to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about in this reflection has inspired some randomness in you, please take this. Please find a way to share some of those thoughts with me. You can find me on my website at youranidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, youranidom1, and YouTube, youranidom. 
Let me give you your homework assignment. What does it mean to have a social, emotionally rich life? A a socio-emotionally rich or enriched life. What would that mean for you? And I'm talking about you thinkers. NT people. NTs are like I don't have I don't have a need for emotions. Come on, I've already I've already challenged that. What would it mean for you though? You don't have a lot of time to give emotionally, but when you do give it, what is it? How in alignment with the matrix are you? Do you conform to the rules of the matrix, or do you, are you a nonconformist? What does that mean? And what if you're a nonconformist and you don't have models of what does it mean to be nonconforming? And then you limit yourself to only one type of nonconforming. And then you discover one day, oh my gosh, there are these other ways to not, to not conform. So how do you align to the matrix? And if you are nonconforming, how do you, how do you live out a nonconforming lifestyle? How do you live it out? How do you learn it? How do you affirm it? How do you, how are you kind to yourself for being different? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.